Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, who's, who, who has received Christ Jesus as Lord of your life? Yeah. So, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And that's what we're wanting of this morning, isn't it? We want to be rooted and built up in the Lord Jesus so we continue on our lives in them. Right, no, it's all right, Gerald. I'm sure it's Jess, probably. I'm just doing it on purpose. We want to be built up in him. We want to be strengthened in faith. And we want to be overflowing with thankfulness, don't we? That's what we're here for. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. We don't want to be carried away by other philosophies, other ideas of what's important in the world. We want to be carried away by the elemental spiritual forces which are at work in the world, affecting the way that we think and the way that we kind of uh, perceive life. And we want to guard against this. How do we guard against this? It says, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness... Sorry. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What he's saying is, is that through your baptism, you have put off the old self. That's what he's talking about when he talks about circumcision. That your old self, the flesh, natural desire to kind of walk away from God, live life yourself, be self-ruled, and kind of live life your own way, has been put off. And now, because you've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised again, you've been made alive together with Christ. And so, he says earlier, continue to live your lives in him. That we've been saved by the Lord Jesus when he died, he's buried and has been raised again. Now we live our new lives in him. So he's talking about what we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday, that God has made us alive together with Christ when he was raised from the dead. But before we get to celebrating that on Sunday, he says this, that he forgave us all our sins. This is what we're going to focus on this morning. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So for us now then, having received Jesus Christ as Lord by faith, placed, uh, we've been placed in Christ through our baptism, we've died with him, and buried with him, and been raised to life. Four things from this passage that we can see that Jesus did for us on the cross to enable us to live our lives in him, be built up, strengthened in faith, and thankful. The first is, he forgave us of our sins. Just to say, 
these things that I'm going to talk about are things you will have heard a million and one times. Because there's no such thing as maturing beyond the very basics of the gospel, is there? In fact, maturing in faith, being built up and strengthened in faith, continuing to live our lives in him, overflowing with thankfulness rather than just kind of a little bit grateful, all comes from reminding ourselves continually of the things about Jesus that we've heard a million and one times. But as we take them to heart, we grow in these things. So the first thing is, he forgave us our sins, verse 13. When we received Christ, part of the deal was that we, we realized that we're not all that. You had that moment. You're, you're not as good as you thought you were. That you, you're not really all that. It's, the Holy Spirit just convicts you of your sin. Makes you realize, I'm a sinful, I'm rotten to the core. I'm not just a little bit bad sometimes. I'm rotten to the core. Convicted of sin. I'm really not as good as I thought I was. My sinfulness is exposed. You realize you've got no defense. Where you previously might have tried to justify how good you were. You kind of lose that sense of, I've really got no defense here. I'm completely sinful. I'm deserving of punishment. My future is hopeless without God. I've got, I've got no defense. I can't kind of say, oh, but I've done this and I, I did that and wasn't it so good when I managed to achieve that? I've, it just looks pathetic. And I've got no defense. And the distance between God's holy perfection and our sinfulness never feels so big. In those moments where you just, you realize the distance between you and God is just so great. It's a huge chasm between us that cannot be crossed. But the wonderful news of Good Friday is that Jesus' death on the cross made our forgiveness possible. How did he make our forgiveness possible? Because criminals are not just let off in court, are they? You know, that's not justice. Justice is important. I saw an article in the BBC, you might have noticed it, that was um, outraged by community service for a man who raped a 13-year-old girl. And it made, that was the headline. And that's such a shocking headline, isn't it? Because it's so unjust. Because the human heart understands the need for justice, for wrongs to be punished. We don't just let people off in criminal courts, and neither in God's court does he just let people off. The punishment still needs to be paid. He's perfectly just. Justice matters to him. Wrongs need to be punished. Sin needs to be dealt with. The consequences of our sin is death. And the wrath of God must avenge wrongdoing, because God is a just God. So for us to be forgiven, somebody who was sinless, perfect, blameless, spotless in every way, without blemish, needed to die instead of us. Needed to take our punishment, right our wrong, deal with our sin, bear the wrath of God. And on the cross, that's what Jesus did for us. Forgiveness has cost us nothing, in that sense. But it cost Jesus everything when he died on the cross. Uh, The second thing uh, is this, that he cancelled our debt. Have a look at verse 14. It says, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The reason that Good Friday is such good news is that our debt of sin 
has been cancelled, been paid by the Lord Jesus on the cross. In our culture, naturally, we tend to think of good and bad deeds being outweighed by one another, don't you? And it's kind of instinctive. One of my children said to me the other day, um, when they'd received the punishment for something, and they, then they did something like really great. I was like, well, you know, one of those moments you really celebrate it, and you're like, wonderful. They've gotten something of the gospel. It's brilliant. They've done something that you think naturally you'd never do that. And they went, <laughs> and they went, um, does that mean I don't have to, that that doesn't count anymore? Because <laughs> instinctively that's the way you think about it, isn't it? If I'm this good, maybe it will kind of like outweigh my badness. And in some ways I can kind of get myself out of the sticky situation of the debt that's uh, against me and on, on my record, as it were. But when we receive Christ by faith, we realised that actually our bad deeds are a lot worse than we thought. And the things that we thought were like really good are actually not as good as we thought they were. In fact, they weren't God-empowered in the first place, and so there wasn't really anything good about them, and they weren't as purely motivated as we thought they were. We weren't as loving as we thought. And it's not that we balanced on a scale. We don't out... Our bad and good deeds don't outweigh one another. The Bible says that we've got a record of debt. That every, like our sinfulness is just it's listed almost. Just ev- everything we've ever done. Every thought, every word, every deed has written down. And there's this long list, this record. It's a bit like when you go into a court case and the judge reads out the list of charges and um, I've never been in court when this has happened, but you can imagine the court scene. The man's there, ready to defend himself, ready to plead not guilty, and the judge reads out the list of charges, and it takes 20, 25 minutes, half an hour. It's an endless or seemingly endless list of charges. You know, 100 counts of this, 50 counts of that, 20 counts of this. You think, this person's in trouble. <laughs> Their defense is going to have to be pretty good. They seem to have a lot of charges to bring against. And that's our debt. And we're going to come before the Father at the end of time. Stand before him. Got a record of debt. A list of charges. That would have taken a very long time to read out. It would have been an, a, a, an embarrassing attempt at a defense. That's us. There's no hope in the good deeds we thought we had done. Simply, the list that's been written out needs just erasing. It needs dealing with. It needs blotting out. It needs complete cancelling. And this is what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Except the list wasn't nailed to the cross. Jesus was instead. And the record of our debt was placed on him. And he died for it. Taking it away. Removing our sins as far as the east is from the West. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. He disarmed our enemies, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. And when we receive Christ by faith, his death on the cross for sin becomes ours too. And our enemies are disarmed, shamed, and embarrassed. 
I love the message version. It, it puts this, that verse like this. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. It's a picture of war. Enemy soldiers with guns loaded with ammunition. And the ammunition is the things that you and I have done wrong. And they're ready to take us down. That's the ammunition. Our sins that were going to be held against us in God's court. The things that um, we've done that it's accurate, solid, evidential case against us. We were set to lose the war, to be gunned down essentially by a better armed enemy without a defence. But imagine you're at war. The enemy is coming towards you, gun in hand, tons of ammunition, truckloads of ammunition behind following him, and he's coming at you with his gun. And what happened on the cross is that you're charging back at him with your butter knife. And the enemy soldier drops his gun, drops his ammo, leaves it all, and you're holding a note saying the war is over. At the end of the war, the enemy is taken prisoner of war, aren't they? That's what happens to... The enemy at the end of the war when it's lost. The weapons are set down. They're marched by the victors through the streets, shamed for their failed attempt to claim land for themselves by might. This is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He disarmed the enemy who was coming at us. And our enemy likes to try to remind us that he's got a gun, doesn't he? He tries to fake it. You know, He likes to pretend the war's still going on, like it's still up for grabs. So you get these little skirmishes where he tells you, do you remember that list of things that you did? Do you remember what you did last week? Do you remember what you did last night? Yesterday, day before. And he's constantly having a go at you in your mind. Don't you remember you did this and that? He wants to make us despair at the things that we've done wrong. But we need to be constantly reminded that at the cross, Christ disarmed our enemy. It says in Revelation 12.10 of that moment, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, the enemy of our brothers, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Before the enemy could come against us and constantly remind the Father of the things that we've done wrong. But because those things have been dealt with, he has nothing to say. There is nothing he can hold against us anymore. When we stand before the Father on the day of judgment, there is nothing that can be read out against you, that can be held against you, completely free of it all. He has no ammunition. The the accuser has got nothing, no case to bring against you. It's going to be embarrassing for him because Jesus has dealt with it all. On the cross, and it says, verse 15 to finish, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he triumphed over our enemy. It's a moment of joy, of celebration, of pride, elation, exultation, jubilation, rejoicing, reveling. As the enemy is marched through the streets, the residents would come out, wouldn't they, and join in the triumph. They would celebrate and shout and whoop and clap and celebrate. They would rejoice over their salvation, their rescue. with joy, reveling in the victory won for them. And that's the appropriate response for us, isn't it? 
reveling in the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross. That's the appropriate um, response to Jesus forgiving us of our sins, cancelling the record of debt against us, and disarming our enemies. It's triumph. Today is a triumphant day because we're remembering what Jesus has done on the cross. He's Christus Victor. He's the one who's won the victory over the enemy on our behalf. And that's what we're going to remember now as we break bread and drink wine together.